been involved in quite a few tech companies. And, and what I've really realized is that there's a tidal wave of convenience that's crashed over the entire world. Welcome to the Real Estate Secrets Podcast. This show is about sharing lessons in commercial real estate that were learned from trial and error and working directly with CEOs of billion-dollar healthcare organizations. Our mission is to teach the insider strategies used by the big guys to everyday healthcare operators in order to get access to the best real estate at the best prices. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Commercial Real Estate Secrets. I'm Austin Hare, and our guest is Dr. Brian Laskin. He's the founder of Upgrade Dental, which is an educational platform that teaches dental offices and DSOs how to grow their practices by putting patients first. He's been in the dental industry for 22 years, and he's owned his own practice for 19 years. And he's got his hand in a lot of different dental tech companies. So it's very exciting to have you on the show today, Brian. How are you doing? Oh, great. Thanks for having me. Honored to be here. Yeah. So, all right. Um, I like to, you know, just get started from a macro, you know, thousand foot overview, you know, aside from dental before dental, you know, who was Brian? Like who, who, what were you doing? Like, you know, what was it like for you growing up? Were you creating, you know, any kind of side hustles and businesses? Like what were your parents like? I mean, what kind of, what was the first thing that kind of got you on this path? Well, great question. I, <laughs> which I don't put a lot of thought into, but I, you know, I think, from my, from the, I like to say I was born in the ni- year 1972, which is the the same year that Pong was created. So, video games and Brian Laskin were created in the same year, and I think that's nice. appropriate because I'm I'm I've always loved technology. I've always loved games, uh, video games, and I've always been a gigantic nerd. And so that kind of put me on a path towards both nerding out about dentistry and uh and about technology which is kind of one of of my favorite things and and i've also had a weird inclination towards business when i was 12 years old i had never like even probably seen a baby but for but i the only job i could think of was babysitting so i went around the neighborhood and put like little postcards in everybody's mailbox saying uh to be that that i would babysit for them for i think it was a dollar 75 an hour and i was not worth it i was a garbage babysitter but uh, a couple people uh hired me and then from then on i've just always loved uh i've always loved kind of having my own business uh, which was a which was a focus of mine I've, i love healthcare i love i love helping people and working with my hands and technology so i've been able to sort of create this uh, whirlwind of a career that's been able to incorporate all of those things that I love to do. So how long did the babysitting gig go on for? I, I think I did it for about two years. Uh, and I, I literally like left the Mac and cheese on a stove and fell asleep. And like, they can't like the parents came home to just like some totally crusty burnt macaroni that had probably had to throw the pan away. And then uh, I think they knew, and I knew that that was probably the, the, the end of, until time. I had until I had children of my own, which which mm. luck, I don't think I screwed that one up so bad. That's that's <laughs> funny, that's funny. So okay, and then um, like how did that translate into dentistry and getting in that path? Yeah, I I've always loved drawing. I love playing guitar. I love martial arts. I love like doing things with my hands, and so I actually took a year off out of after after college to figure out what I wanted to do. And I put a lot of thought and effort into it. And, uh, and, and I would have, if you told me that I was right when I graduated, that I was going to go to dental school, I would have told you you're insane. But, uh, after looking into it, I just took all the things that I loved and together, I could have my own business. 
um, which is why I didn't go to medical school. I thought it, was, it would be more difficult. Uh, it, it, there's a lot of innovation that goes on in dentistry and you help people directly every day, uh, which was important to me. And, uh, and, and you get to use your and work with your hands. And so that, that was kind of what led me to dentistry. And then quickly well, I mean, were you a dental student in, in high school and college, uh, in high school and college, I did well, but I would, it would be disingenuous to say I was a good student. I didn't study. I think it came naturally to me. So when I went to dental school, I had a rude awakening. I actually had to like, I was dating my now wife and she was a senior in, in college when I started dental school and she had to basically teach me how to study because I'd never done it before. So in college, cause I can understand things fairly well. So I, and I, I was one, one class away from a, from an engineering major and uh, so I took a lot of math and science, things that I think you could kind of figure out if you knew what you're, you know, if you could process information that way. But in dental school, there was a lot of memorization, like gross anatomy. And that, you can't just figure out what things are. So you actually do have to study. And so for me, that was a rude awakening. And I, had, and I literally had to, so I, I did very well in, in, in grade-wise, but I did not, I was not a good student. <laughs> um, okay, so... Then, you know, like, it sounds like that was kind of, you mentioned a rude awakening. So, like, um, you know, did you have to, like, structure your day better? Did you, did you just, you know, essentially pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get motivated? Like, I mean, what actually happened? To, you know, was there any actual, like, tangible changes that happened in your life? Yeah, I think I got smacked in the face with some bad initial grades in dental school. And then I figured out, well, this isn't going to work if I want to get, if I want to be a dentist. And so I just had to, I kind of ground through really what I found is that I can memorize things if I write them down. So mm -hmm. I would just, I just, that's how I learned. That's how I learned gross anatomy was I just wrote everything down. Um, and I did well, uh, in dental school, I was sort of like middle of the pack, but for me, it was, uh, it was a, it was a it, dental school did not come easily for me because I think everything up to dental school had. So uh, I had to really learn how to, how to study. And, and, and I also didn't, it wasn't exactly a supportive environment. Let me put it that way. Right. Mm -hmm. Dental dental school when I went there was very much like uh, boot camp, And uh, I have a, an aversion to uh, authority figures. And so, so, so I had, it was a bit of a, it was, it was a bit of oil and water, me in dental school. I love learning, but um, I also don't like being tested. So it was, you know, <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, you're, you're bringing back like like the, the, the challenges, right, of, yeah. of dental school, which, you know, really has affected the career to, to date. Because I think in dental school, rightfully so, the focus is so much on perfectionism. Right. I'm, I'm, you know, dentists have to perform at a very high level in very difficult situations. So, so there's a very much, uh, an, an air, uh, a focus on, on, on uh, trying to strive for perfection in your clinical quality. But that comes at, at, I believe the expense of paying attention to the patient that you're working on, because if you absorbs patient's anxiety, uh, it, it makes you less effective at the job that you're performing. And so that has really been, and that's kind of the, the essence of the patient first manifesto book is, is that that is what I call the great disconnect between dental patients and, and, and dental and 
just healthcare professionals in general and their patients, because we get so focused on producing a quality result that we do not pay attention to the experience that the that the patient's having. Yeah, yeah. I know we talked about this earlier, but um, that kind of reminds me, like the what you know, what's a commonly held held belief in the dental industry that you disagree with? Well, it's it's the the commonly held belief that's analogous to what I just said is that if you produce exceptional dentistry, you'll have a successful practice. And in reality, there's very little correlation between the quality of the care you give and the health of your practice. And I think that's true of healthcare in general. Of course, if you produce horrific quality, <laughs> that that has a negative effect on your practice, right? But patients by and large cannot distinguish between good care and exceptional care. And so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm, and I'm, I, this isn't saying this is good or bad. This is just the way it is. Other factors go into what allows your practice to be financially healthy than your than the quality of care that you deliver. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. And you know, I think in freakonomics, they actually address the same thing. It's like they're trying to figure out what's the correlation between doctors and getting sued. And what happened was it didn't come down to the amount of times you messed up because there's like doctors, you know, the people that got sued had a whole wide range of track record between being like pristine and almost perfect to extremely bad. Right. And what they realized, the one common metric that determined whether or not they were going to get sued as a doctor was amount of time spent in the room with the patient. And so what it boiled down to is kind of what you're saying, which is the patient experience. Do they like you? Are you spending time? Are you being a jerk? Are you giving them enough time to answer questions and, and feel understood? And that was the single most determining factor of, of whether or not they're going to have a malpractice case on their hands. Yeah, I think that's a that's that's I, I haven't heard that from Freakonomics, but it sounds very true, obviously. And and a communi- communication skills are huge. I would guess if I were to place a like a if I had to bet on what was the single most common factor as to whether or not dental practice got sued, it would be what what their financial arrangements look like, right? So even in addition to, like, in place of the communication skills that you have as a provider, are you being transparent with the financial arrangements, which has absolutely nothing to do with the quality of care? Just like, I mean, communication kind of does. But uh, but it, but but more specifically, I would say financial arrangements in dentistry, I think, oftentimes are overlooked. Which then again, that it's, it's another, it's a more specific, I think, aspect of mm. of patient communication that I yeah, think would and, be. Yeah, and key. it sounds like you know your book, the Patient First Manifesto, talks about that. Which I want to I want to get to that soon. But like first, I want to figure out. So you know, you went to dental school, got your butt kicked a little bit, then you got out, and then what happened next? Did you become associate? And did you always know that you wanted to open up your own practice? Like, was that just a means to an end or, or did the goal of having your own practice come later? I uh, know I knew right away that I wanted to have my own practice, but I had absolutely no confidence in my skills coming out of dental school. So I went and I worked for a large group for about, for a little over a year. And then I bought a very small practice, the smallest, literally the smallest practice I could find was 800 square feet because wow. I, I, I felt like if I bought a larger practice, I wouldn't be able to handle it, mm. which in retrospect was, <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter the size of your practice. You still have to run the thing. Right. right. But, but I, uh, I bought an 800 square foot practice and I, I mean, I think what, what has led to me being successful in dentistry is I have been constantly learning 
my very first practice, I had one receptionist, I had one hygienist, and I had one assistant. And I had them train me on every single thing they did. So I knew what they did. Not because I wanted to, not because I wanted to tell them what to do, but I was so worried that if they left, I would have to figure out, I would have to train somebody else. Yeah. And it was actually very great information. And the very first thing I did was hire a consultant. And I've always worked with coaches ever since then. I actually just met with a coach today. Uh, and, and I, I, uh, I've, I've been constantly learning and trying to grow from there. So for me, dental school was the beginning of my education. Uh, and I think that's really what's allowed me. It's grown from 800 square feet to 8,000 square feet. And I had another location. Wow. 8,000 so, uh, square feet. That's huge. Yeah. We have, you know, uh, four general dentists, oral surgeon. Uh, at one point we had an orthodontist, we, you know, you know it, it's been a, it's been great. And, uh, I've learned a lot and I continue to learn every day. Right? So yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. So you started out with 800 square feet. Um, when you were buying the practice, did you, was the real estate involved at all or was it just an operational uh, purchase? No, it was a, op it was an operational purchase and that's uh, being generous to the <laughs> operations that I was purchasing. <laughs> yeah. You're pretty much buying the book of patients. Right. But so then um, how did you start growing that? Like, did you take down space next door or did you have to relocate? What did that process look like? Yeah, I relocated. I've relocated a couple times. Uh, the first relocation, I had this tiny office, uh, and where, where the the patients had had very much patchwork dentistry, so I could count on at least one per person breaking a tooth and coming in during the day, uh, because the, because there was a lot of uh, a lot of dental needs in the in the patient base, and then I then I purchased another practice from a dentist that I got to know very well, who was a total master craftsman. He was. He produced just he would only produce ex exceptional dentistry and only produce idealized dentistry on patients that would accept it, which meant he had a tiny practice. So he had a practice that was probably fifteen percent of the size of my, from a patient based standpoint, but he had a beautiful location. And so I moved my tiny practice into his larger practice. And it almost sunk the entire thing because I paid so much for this practice, thinking that you know, his, I made the mistake of thinking that because he was an exceptional dentist and had a beautiful space that the business was sound. And I didn't mm -hmm. do it at that time. I didn't know what I was the due diligence that I should be doing. And so I immediately smacked into another wall and, and realized, Oh, that's where I came with it. Producing exceptional dentistry does not equal a healthy practice producing dentistry produces a healthy practice, right? Was, and, yeah. I, I feel like there's a lot of lessons that we can unpack here. So what he's doing right was the actual clinical chair side work. I mean, it sounds like he, you said it was exquisite and it was perfect. What was he doing wrong exactly? I, I think what, what he was doing, and it's hard to say he was doing it wrong, right? Because he had a great practice, a great boutique practice. However, um, what we did differently and we treatment planned the same, I mean, we looked at dentistry the same way, and he was—he he taught me a ton about about how to deliver the care. Uh, but we treat, but we looked at dentistry the same way. What we, however, we presented treatment very differently to patients. He would produce, he would he would present everything as being ideal and necessary, whereas I would try to meet patients where they were. Right? If you wanted to have full mouth reconstruction and fix every problem in your in your mouth, great, let's do that. If, however, you're in pain and you just want to get out of pain and deal with that and then come back and we can talk later, let's do that. So I was, 
the dentistry was the same, but how we discussed it with patients was completely different. In his mind, if you weren't doing the ideal thing, he wasn't the dentist for you, uh, which meant that he saw a lot of friends and family who wanted him to do idealized dentistry. But there, I, a lot of patients that he saw that I had seen would come back in my schedule and they'd say, you know, he says I need to have X amount of dollars of work. And I'd say that's true. However, and we've talked about that. However, it's optional how you want to do it. And, and, and you know, not everybody needs to have every cosmetic thing fixed in their mouth if it's not, you know, uh, dentally necessary. It's it's optional. And so I think that's really the, the major difference that we had was how we presented the treatment. So your case acceptance rate probably went way up because you're just requiring less work to be done, right? Yeah. I mean, I think I, I was more open to modifying from the ideal. Let me put it that okay. way, right? Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think that what I would do in my mouth is necessarily necessary for everybody to do in their own mouths, right? So when you bought it from him, did he stay on or did you take over? No, he, well, both. I mean, he stayed on and he worked, he, we worked together uh, for many years and he had a, he had sort of this niche boutique practice within the overall practice. And I've had several associates since that, you know, we we can share patients back and forth and it's not, not an issue, but with him, he just, he just believed in ideal, ideal dentistry Mm-hmm. Was, was what he wanted to produce, and that's what he did. And and the patients that he saw loved him and wanted to see him for that and recognized him for the craftsman he was. However, you're going to have a smaller patient base and overall going to be, you know, I think uh, more than likely have a smaller, from a, from a revenue standpoint, a smaller practice than somebody who is, who is meeting people where they are. So... Well, how long were you guys at this location? Because you said you relocated multiple times. Did you stay here for a while? Yeah, we were in, we were in that location for I believe it was about seven years, six or seven years, and then uh, then we moved to the location where I am now, which is a three story building. We occupied one floor when we moved here, um, and we brought on two more dentists. And now we take up the the office takes up two of the three levels soon it will probably take nice. all three levels and it's it's grown steadily every year so it's uh it's been great do you are you targeting like retail areas like with high visibility and a lot of street traffic and and like good anchor tenants or is it more like an office complex great question because <laughs> again i've made some mistakes i've learned some things right you know we don't make mistakes we learn things so yeah. i my first my first location, the 800, the 800 square foot office, was in a strip mall next to Smoky Superette. So, so kind of a really not a great location. Let me put it that way. But, it, but, it, but it had a red sign that said "dentist" above the door. Right. Uh, my second location was in a medical center, which meant I was buried on the third floor in some, you know, big brick building with no visibility. And then uh, that's when I really learned. You know, once I learned the boy, I better pay attention to the business of the business, right? Uh, and I started to do some research and learning and coaching. Uh, so the, my, the building I have now is right on the corner behind a gas station where we have, I've got a three-story building where where there's great visibility and huge signage, right? So uh, it's, it's only a few blocks away from my second location, which was only a few blocks away from my first location. But, uh, but, but I've learned now that, I, you know, it's, 
there's just some things that you can do to put some wind in your sails, right? And and as you know, uh, real estate has been a huge piece. Like ha having the visibility has been great. Also, having control of the building that I'm in has been fantastic. You, you own you know, this building? I do, yeah. Yes. And like I said, we've gone from one level to two levels, and, and we take up the entire office building now. And so we've grown into the space, which has been it's been great. It's been fantastic. So it sounds like you've kind of um, focused, you, like you started this, the, your uh, dental practice, and you've grown, like you've scaled uh, that company within the confines of those walls. And then you've also spent a lot of time uh, going when working on tech companies. And there seems to be like a lot of people that will, as they grow their dental company, you know, they think, hey, I can replicate this. I want to go start more. And they do like a DSO model. You've kind of taken a different approach. Why do you think you've been like more gravitated towards the tech approach than the actual like brick and mortar location approach? Well, great question. And and I did buy a second location, and I did um, I did sell the majority of my practices to Dental Care Alliance, which is a DSO, okay. about three years ago. And uh, the short the short answer is because I I like challenge, which means I'm I'm. <laughs> I like to do things the hard way, basically, yeah. and and uh, and and I, frankly, to be blunt, I thought I thought I wasn't that excited about buying a bunch of dental practices. Mm -hmm. uh, it would wouldn't produce a challenge for me, but but I, I love inventing things. I'm an inventor at heart, and and I and I'm a change agent. I like changing things, and so creating solutions for the industry and helping move the industry to be more modern is is really my core passion is is i like to see what's possible in the profession and i don't want to just create that for a few offices or a dozen offices I, I i want to help move the entire industry which is which to me is a it's a is a challenge that gets me out of bed and excited that's cool um and so i know you wrote the book the patient first manifesto when like did you start having the idea for that? When did you actually start? Um, when did that come about? And like, how long did it take you to write that? What year was that? Well, it was right in the middle of the shutdown. So I, I had, I was just on the verge of selling my first tech company, and uh, and I and I, 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 like you mentioned at the, at the top of this 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 um, this discussion, I've been involved in quite a few tech companies, and and what I've really realized is that. There's a tidal wave of convenience that's crashed over the entire world. Uh, you know, you can order everything from a car to a house to a spouse within an hour <laughs> online, right? Yes. But but dentistry and healthcare in general hasn't kept up, and um, and I feel like in the 20 years that I've been a dentist, the clinical quality has just been transformed. The ability to create great care or even good care has been has been transformed to make it so much easier today than when I got out of dental school 20 years ago. But the actual experience from the patient's perspective has not changed. And so as I was getting ready to, to sell this company, I, I, I basically went for a walk and the entire, it sounds, it sounds silly, but it's true. The entire book came to me as I, when I went for a walk, you know, on a walk that I do all the time around my office, I sat down and I wrote down the title chapters and I got to writing. And 10 days later, I had this book. Wow. And uh, it, it it was basically, I think, the culmination of a lot of maybe subconscious thinking that I've been doing about 
the disconnect between the way patients view dentistry and the way, way, way uh, and not just dentistry, healthcare in general, the way that patients view healthcare and the way that providers view healthcare uh, and, and what, and how to correct it and what we should do about it. And that's how the book came about. You ever heard of the book, never lose a customer again by Joey Coleman. I've heard of the book. I haven't read it. Okay. Yeah. It's funny. It talks, it sounds like it's a similar theme. Essentially he starts out like giving examples of um, dentists and dental offices as, as like his very first real life example. And just about like how, I mean, obviously there's a huge obstacle that you have to overcome in the dental industry because like nobody looks forward to it. <laughs> I mean, it's the last thing, you know, it's like dreaded, right? They use it as, as idioms, as things mm-hmm. you don't want to do. And so um, he had this experience with the going to the dentist where he said like the whole thing was very pleasant. They're very tech savvy. They emailed out a form ahead of time to fill it out. So when he walked in, he could just go straight in and he was just blown away. And so it sounds like there's a lot of themes there, like in the patient first manifesto, just in terms of like focusing on the patient experience. Absolutely. And I, you know, I have experiences like you mentioned where like my wife went to an eye doctor and we switched eye doctors, even though, the eye doctor that we used to see was literally in our dance classes from when we got married. Right. So this guy was like great guy. But then my, my wife went to an eye doctor and came home and said, we're going, I made an appointment with our new eye doctor. And I was like, what did the, did the last guy say something sexist or like, yeah. did he, like what did he do to, to make you mad? Right. Well, as it turned out, she heard that this new eye doctor didn't have to dilate your eyes with the, with the drops. Right. And she hates, my wife hates getting the old eye drops. And so she made me, she switched this new technology, uh, frankly, from the patient's perspective is transformative. But my guess is that from an eye doctor's perspective, it doesn't do anything different than if you drop the droplets in somebody's eyes. Right. Right. In fact, it's probably in their mind, a huge expense that they don't have to do because the patients can just wear some sunglasses for a few hours. Right. But it caused my wife not only to change, but she set me up with this new eye doctor, right? And because I'm in dentistry, we don't see those opportunities oftentimes, right? That eye doctor did, which caused us to, as a family to change, even though we had a personal connection to the eye doctor that we went to. And then in the book, I have a lot of stories about how I get slapped in the face by patients, right? Uh, the very first story I did an extraordinary amount of work. I talked to this patient's mother, multiple, was a retired hygienist multiple times where she was crying and I ended up doing, restoring her front teeth. I, it was a, a, a tremendous amount of work and energy. And then when we do, when I delivered the restorations, I gave the patient a mirror and she's just crying tears of joy about her, how, how, how her life has changed because of her new, her new smile. And then I see that she wrote a five-star Google review. And I'm like, of course she did. You know, I, 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 I did a great job. And I click on the link and my heart just sank uh, because she said, I love Lake Minnetonka Dental. They always run on time and they have the best coffee. Didn't even mention that I did, that I did anything to her teeth. Wow. And uh, that, you know, at the time, that's a, for a dentist, that's a punch in the gut, right? Uh but I realized, you know, reflecting on it, that's really, in in that patient's mind, the exceptional dentistry was expected, right? Yeah. So to get the result, she already had that result in her brain, but she didn't expect to have great coffee or for us to run on time. 
And that really, those experiences like that that I detail in the book what are really kind of incredible. What's that? What kind of coffee is it? It's a Keurig coffee pot that I bought. You know, I was walking through Target and I saw the thing. I'm like, yeah, then people could get whatever they want. I bought it. It's like $80, right? That's hilarious. I've gotten so many reviews on this stupid coffee pot, right? <laughs> and I think that's really the disconnect. You know, for for, for me as a, as a provider and most other providers, you're like, you know, the space that you occupy, right? It it makes a big difference in, in, in the patient's experience. And but from a from a clinical quality, the coffee I serve has absolutely no correlation to the quality right. of dentistry that I that I deliver. Except right. for the fact that maybe if they're more comfortable, they're gonna jump around less <laughs> on me, right? Yeah. But but uh but in the patient's eyes it it is really impactful. And so I think it's time to expand our definition of quality of care in healthcare in general, definitely in dentistry to include the patient experience. All right. And so how does this correlate with what you're doing at Upgrade Dental? When did you decide? And like, I know that's an educational platform, but like what year did you launch that? And and how many of these themes are reoccurring between Upgrade Dental and what you talk about in the book? So Upgrade Dental, we launched in the beginning of 2020, right before the pandemic. And uh, it is, like you said, a an educational platform. I really look at my work is divided into a three prong strategy to help move the industry forward. One Mm -hmm. is educational because if the biggest barrier to dentistry getting to where it could be, I believe is the inertia to break through the inertia of apathy of not doing something. And so that requires educating people. And that's what upgrade dental is all about. It's about getting people ready and breaking through the inertia to enact the change, the positive change to move the industry forward. Uh, so education is the first prong. The second prong is innovation. We, I'm, as you mentioned, I'm parts of uh, some very innovative companies in dentistry, about 10 of them. Uh, we're launching a platform called Tooth Apps that brings get together all the best applications in dentistry into one platform, kind of like the App Store or the Google Play Store, for but for dentistry. Cool. Um, uh, and then the third prong is standardization which is another, I believe it's a key part of innovation for us to actually remove the friction that's necessary to innovate uh, in, in a way that people can actually execute on that innovation. We need to remove the barriers and, and get, get the industry aligned. And so the three prongs that I work on are education, innovation, and standardization. And in, in my world, the educational arm is Upgrade Dental. Okay. And so let's talk about Upgrade Dental um, a little bit more. Like, what are the types of things that you're teaching? I mean, how much of it is, you know, chair side versus business related, um, you know, versus patient experience? Great question. So we do, we do a lot, but it's all focused on uh, really the patient experience. So I, I, for example, I have a course on uh, it's called the, we have a, we have a product called the upgrade dental prep system, which is how to prep any tooth in less than two minutes, probably at a higher level than you are now because it's all systematized. Right. Uh, I think one of the clinical, uh, inefficiencies that people have is they they look at every tooth, like a unique snowflake to uncover. Right. Mm-hmm. I think if you've done 50,000 crowns, uh, there's, there's one ways there's, there's, there's two ways to approach that. You can either have done the same 
preparation 50,000 times, which means you've practiced it 50,000 times, and 50,001 is just another trip around the tooth, right? Or you've done the, or you've, and you've tried to improve upon it, or every time you've gone to it, it's been 50,000 different experiences, and 50,001 is just like doing your first one. And I prefer the, 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 the first way. Let's make incremental improvements to which, as Einstein has told us, that compounding is the, is the uh, most greatest, powerful. Seventh greatest wonder of the world or something. Yeah, exactly. It's the most powerful force in the universe, right? The most compounding. powerful force in the universe, yeah. And so if we get a little bit better each time, we're going to be massively more effective over time. And, and, and we, we can apply that to how you prep teeth. We can also apply it to things like your schedule, how you run a meeting. Um, and so upgrade dental, we have, we're bringing on actually a bunch of uh, faculty members now that will train things, just things that, that, that dentists don't have the ability today to have access to. For example, the average dental office will take an employee, a team member, who's maybe an assistant or a hygienist, and promote them to office manager. Well, that employee may be a great assistant, but does knows nothing about how to lead, manage, or hold the team accountable, right? right? So we're giving those tools to the dental team to be able to take, if you take them from a peer status and promote them to a leader, we give them the tools so that they can actually lead and manage a team. Um, things like that that I think are missing in the profession. Yeah. I am really excited. Uh, in in late January, I'm going to be doing a new 16-week modular course on basically how to run a, an effective practice that I, I'm 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 in the midst of putting together now, and so uh, I can't talk too much about it. But 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 I'm really excited because I think it's I think it's the kind of thing where uh, regardless of where you are in your practice, you'll become massively more productive if you if you go through my, go through it through the, because I think it's the first course that I'm aware of that's actually been focused on how to be an insanely productive dentist. Mm. No, I love that. Um, and so what kind of books that would you recommend people read that you've read that have been influential for you? Oh, I love, well, we were just talking about books before. I mean, I think yeah. there's, there's some great ones out there. Uh, my favorites are, uh, I mean, it depends on what you mean. If you mean like business books or person, like I do, do. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess I would consider like, yeah, business books, uh, educational books, self-development books, stuff like that. Yeah, I think Traction is a great book. We uh, Gino Wickman's book about uh, basically teaches you how to uh, lead, a, lead a team, how to run effective meetings, which I think is completely uh, underappreciated, the effectiveness yeah. of how to run an, an, an efficient meeting. Uh, so that, that's, that's a great one. And then also, um, I mean, it talks a lot about systems, right? I mean, you were mentioning systems earlier. I think it talks a lot about uh, just defining, because we're reading it too, which we haven't finished it, <laughs> but a lot about of what you, what you do and also defining what you don't do, which is equally important. Mm -hmm. I'm reading, a, I agree. I'm reading a great book right now on defining moments and how to create moments that are impactful in, 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 in your business and in your life. I think that is something that I'll bring to the practice because there's, oh, cool. let's say somebody like a new patient, right? We have that sort of impactful moment that's engineered at my practice, but somebody, when you deliver veneers, for example, in a dental practice, that should be an architected moment that, because it, it, regardless of what you do, there's going to be a lasting impression on that moment for the patient, right? So, you can either roll the dice and leave it up to chance, or you can engineer that moment 
to be impactful in a positive way. And uh, even negative, like we always do things, and now I'm thinking about them. I think that's that. So I think, it, you know, when it comes to like a patient experience perspective, that's that's a great book. It's called Defining Moments. Um, yeah, there's there's just, I, I love, I love the, there's, there's, there's a lot of really good business books out there. Uh, yeah, but, you but mentioned I think also uh, uh, story, story Brand by Donald Miller. Yeah, yeah, that's a great one too. Um, I don't know about how effective for the average dental practice. Uh, oh, really? I, I think that in for business in general, marketing in general, absolutely. I love that book, Story Brand. I've been through the Don Miller course um, down in Nashville. Uh, but dental practices, frankly, marketing for dental practice is should be easy. You know, it comes down to taking care of people and asking people for referrals, which is different than the Story Brand experience. Hmm. But uh, but so for 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 business in general, I love Story Brand. Dental practice, I think it's less necessary for if that makes sense to you yeah no that makes sense and um what podcasts are you listening to oh i love i'm a big scott galloway from fan of the prof g podcast but he, he talks about just business in general and macro trends i'm i'm a i'm an idea guy you know and so so i love looking at outside industries and applying them to dentistry and yeah. uh, i think scott galloway has a great one what, so give me some examples. Like what's a, cause that sounds interesting. And I'm probably going to check it out too. What's like an intro, what's the most recent podcast that you listen to from him about? Well, so I'm working a lot on interoperability in dentistry. So, you know, that means I believe it's a philosophical wrong that if you're a patient and you're going to move from Minneapolis to Oklahoma, you can't just push a button and download your information and have the next dentist upload it or have the, the dentist just access that information. So I'm actively working on interoperability in dentistry. So I have a bias, obviously, when I'm listening to these things. And the last one he had on, frankly, was about blockchain and NFTs, non-fungible tokens. And that is, uh, those are those are technologies that I'm looking to incorporate into hmm. our interoperability in dentistry. And so, so you know, the, so they had somebody talking about that. Yeah, explain how that would work. So, and then let's, let, I know that NFTs, you know, people just go, their eyes glaze over. They don't really know what it means. Essentially, it's just like the original copy of something, right? I mean, is that a good way to sum it up? Yeah, that, yes. I mean, I think right now it's being, just like just like uh, Bitcoin was, a, was, one of the, was probably the first blockchain technology, right? Now NFTs are another blockchain technology. I look at NFTs as like a digital signature. So it's an authentication, right? And so what that would look like in dentistry is that you could have an NFT for your dental record, right? That that would be the digital authentication, which is decentralized, so nobody owns it, right? And 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 everybody has transparency into that is your dental record. They can't see into it. So there's an authentication. So you're saying there. they'll be able to see the dental record via an NFT, but they won't be able to see the contents of that. So in order to get yeah. that, they'll need your key. Yeah, exactly. And and so you know, there's it, it, that's simplifying it a bit. But if you think about like if you buy, uh, you know, I'm a big Star Wars fan, right? So if I buy, which I have, <laughs> uh, Star Wars posters, which are signed by like a bunch of cast members, right? It comes with like a seal of authenticity, so you know that, or at least you think, right, that this has been. That 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 has been authenticated by somebody who yeah. is in the industry. Like that's Please what trust. the NFT does. It makes it's the authentication of of that. So digital, and the reason why I mentioned that is that when it comes to artwork, people are now selling 
digital NFTs. And we see that these digital NFTs are already, I mean, digital techno transactions for, for things that are seemingly for me irrelevant are already there. Like my, my son plays Fortnite or these other, uh, Roblox game and people spend money to get their avatar to have, you know, a unicorn horn or whatever. Right. So those are already things that are going on now with the NFT, you could have, you know, you could have Michael Jordan's Jersey on your avatar because he designed that Jersey, things like that. Right. Is mm. that's way the, the uh, right now how NFTs are is you can buy this digital asset like, uh, Jack from, from Twitter's first tweet went for millions and millions of dollars, right? Because somebody, because now with NFTs and the blockchain, we can authenticate that that was his first tweet, which was in his account. He took took it out, and now you can buy it, and now it's yours. Now, technically, uh, and, you could, like, you could copy and paste that, right? But it's just not the original, and you can prove that's not the original one. That's where the value comes, right? Exactly. You can come to my house and take a picture of my poster with all the signatures, print it off high quality. It probably looks like the exact same thing, but it's not. And because it's not, it inherently has more value. Uh, but when it comes to the dental record, obviously, we're not going to let people take copies of, the, of your record. It's the authentication that allows for secure transfer of information, but also convenient transfer of information. And so I think that rightfully so, blockchain and NFTs are getting a lot of attention, but I don't think most people understand the underlying technology that's going to open up for real estate, right? I mean, because a lot of these industries are archaic. I mean, I look at like the, the, the deed that you get from, for, for, for my, my, my building I'm in, well, it's it looks like, it's yeah, painful. exactly. It's painful. It's expensive. It's slow and probably easy to counterfeit, right? Versus an NFT, which, which would be cheaper, easier to authenticate, uh, and, you know, better all the way around and, and decentralized. So, you know, I think that's one of the, what's really happened yeah. now, especially with Bitcoin is that, that, that they're trying to get away from the centralized banks having all the authority and things like that too. But, uh, in dentistry, I think, you know, taking major concepts, macro trends like that and applying it to the dental industry is one of the things that I like to do. And hmm. so Galloway's podcast gets a lot of insights into different, different things like that. Yeah. Super helpful. Um, so yeah, this, what else, anything else that you want to talk about before we wrap it up? No, I, I think uh, if, I mean, I don't know if there's other healthcare providers out there who would like to get a copy of the book, you can get it for free. Uh, you just have to pay for shipping. Just go to patientfirstbook.com. Okay, I'll write that down, patientfirstbook.com. Okay, and like, uh, is that a good way to people to get in touch with you as well, or, or do you want to leave anything else for people? Yeah, if they want to, you can go to my website. It's just my name, B-R-Y-A-N-L-A-S-K-I-N.com. That kind of has all my major initiatives that I'm working on now. All your 15 <laughs> different projects that are going on. That's maybe awesome. maybe 10 of the 50. <laughs> <laughs> cool, man. Well, hey, listen, uh, thanks so much. You're doing a lot. You're doing a lot for the industry. Um, you know, you're pushing things, you're pushing the needle, you're trying to change things. And yeah, definitely appreciate that. And it's cool to get your perspective and, and your optimism. Well, and I, I just love what you're doing. I mean, it's, it's fun to talk with somebody like yourself who's doing really cool things in their industry and from a broader perspective, right? Because I think this type of content doesn't necessarily go really hand to hand with what, with what you're doing day to day, 
but but it but it also uh, on a high level does. So I appreciate you bringing this type of content to a broader broader audience. Oh yeah, yeah. I well, I appreciate that. Thanks very much. And um, yeah, we'll have to do this again sometime. Absolutely. If you need help finding the perfect location for your practice or you're ready to invest in commercial real estate, email us podcast at leadersre.com. That's podcast at leadersre, R-E as in realestate.com. Or go to leadersre.com and fill out our form. See you next time.